Keys hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. A day to reminisce about a 31-27 loss to the Cleveland Browns. Jaguars now on a two-game losing streak as they get ready again for the fourth time this year. The national spotlight will be shining on Everbank Stadium, just like it was week two against Kansas City, just like it was after the bye against San Francisco, and just like it was a week ago tonight against Cincinnati. And the Jaguars have lost all three of those showcase games. They will get another one in six days against the Lamar Jackson-led Baltimore Ravens, who currently have the best record in the AFC. But I have an interesting take on the Jaguars, one that I'm not sure I've ever had before, as a matter of fact. So we're about to break some new ice here on Hacker After Dark. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in about 20 minutes or so, a little under, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. We'll talk with Brian about yesterday, about looking forward to Baltimore. We'll certainly have a conversation about Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones and their lack of production yesterday. We'll kind of hit it all with Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. That comes up in about 20 minutes. It is also Monday night, so around here, that means a little Monday night coaching with Campo. My man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. He's with us every Monday and he will join us at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. So hour number one, almost entirely Jaguar NFL. We will keep you updated. Two Monday night games tonight. You got Green Bay and the New York football Giants. You also have Tennessee and the Miami Dolphins. So I would sit back with your feet propped up, listening to Hacker After Dark, and you can watch your arch rival there in Tennessee probably about to get the absolute crap beat out of them by Miami. That's coming up here starting in about 15 minutes. But as we do every night to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No, it is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So every Sunday... Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and myself, we do the fifth quarter, the award-winning fifth quarter here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM, and I love doing that show. Been doing that show as long as we've had the Jaguars. I think that's a decade this year, as a matter of fact, and I've experienced a lot of losses during that time doing that show, but certainly as of late, we've experienced a lot of wins. But the one thing about doing that show is the passion – the excitement or depression, depending on how the game goes, the freshness, 
I mean, it's two hours old. The game has only been over two hours before we hit the air on Sunday evenings. And you might overreact to some things. You might underreact to some things. But it's obviously cool to be able to instantly react to the Jaguars on the fifth quarter. But what I found from time to time is after you do that, you go back and you can rewatch the game late Sunday night or early Monday morning, which is what I did today. And I got to tell you, look, a loss is a loss, right? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to blow smoke at you. That's not what we do here on HAD. Losses sting. Losses stink. There's no question about it. But I do get the sense that some losses, although they mean the same, all losses are not created equal. And I think yesterday is an example of that. And quite frankly, I think Cincinnati last Monday is an example of that. The Jaguars played horrible yesterday. Just horrible. Three interceptions, a fumble that resulted in a touchdown, Cleveland guys were running absolutely wide open in the Jaguars' secondary. The Jaguars make a go off sides on fourth and six, inexcusably on a punt, turning it into fourth and one. Cleveland takes advantage and gets a first down. I mean, it was a bad day at the office for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yet the final score was 31-27 as poorly as the Jaguars played, and they did play poorly, man, they were right there to the bitter end. They were right there until about 90 seconds to go when Cleveland recovered that onside kick. Same thing with Cincinnati. That was a back-and-forth game. Cincinnati, say what you will about Jake Browning being a backup, they absolutely destroyed the 7-5 and five Indianapolis Colts yesterday. Just destroyed them. Beat them by, I believe, 20. That was a back-and-forth game between Jacksonville and Cincinnati. I'm not telling you this to try to make you feel better. I'm telling you this to try to be the voice of reason. Never have I ever been accused of being sunshine and rainbow, let's go out with our harmonicas and violins around the campfire and sing kumbaya when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Some fans are. And quite frankly, some of my media brethren, some of my friends here in Jacksonville in the media community are sunshine and rainbows, guys. And they know who they are. You probably know who they are. They'll try to make it seem better than it actually is. I very rarely do that. And admittedly, it's probably a flaw of mine because I get called out many, many times by many, many people about being ultra-negative or too negative or this, that, or the other. And I don't know if it's the move to the evenings that's changed my philosophy on things. I really don't know. I don't think I've changed all that much. But I got to tell you, reading some reaction today from fans on some websites, on social media, talking to my buddies and my inner circle of Jaguar friends, you would think the season's over. You would think that the loss to Cincinnati and the loss to Cleveland, Jaguars might as well pack up shop and head into the offseason. Guys, they're 8-5. and five. They're in first place in the AFC South. They have, according to the New York Times simulator, it was like a 91% chance 
of making the playoffs and an 84% chance of winning the division. They're going to win the AFC South. They have essentially a two-game lead on both Houston and Indy when you factor in tiebreakers. And their schedule down the stretch consists of Carolina, Tennessee, and Tampa Bay. I don't even care about Baltimore. If you win two of the three, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Tennessee, you would then force Indy or Houston to go 4-0 to catch you. And seeing as how Houston and Indy play each other week 18, that's not possible for one of them. So I understand back-to-back losses sting, back-to-back losses hurt. But the Jaguars are probably where they've belonged all along. What was the talk coming into this season? Well, you got Baltimore and Miami, and people were talking about Kansas City, and then Jacksonville was on that tier with the Jets and the Chargers and the Bills. Obviously, the Chargers are one of the biggest disappointments in football. Brandon Staley's going to get fired. The Jets, we don't know what they could have been because of the Aaron Rodgers injury. Jacksonville is debatable. Still, even after two straight losses, I would put them at either three or four in the AFC. I don't believe they're as good as Baltimore. We will see that on Sunday. I would tend to doubt they're as good as Miami, at least right now, although Miami can't beat anybody with a winning record. Jacksonville and Kansas City, it was a 17-9 game three months ago. Kansas City can't score. (laughs) Their receivers are dropping passes. They're committing penalties that cost them games. This is not Kansas City of old. Buffalo, good team. They're getting better. They still have a lot of problems on defense. Cincinnati has hit lightning in a bottle with Jake Browning. I don't necessarily believe in them yet. My point is this. Does it suck losing to Cincinnati and to Cleveland? Yeah, it does. Going from 8-3 and three to 8-5 and five is not any fun. But this is reality. The reality is, coming into the year, we thought Jacksonville was probably third or fourth in the AFC. And guess where they are here in the third week, or I guess coming into the third week of December? They're basically three or four in the AFC. They're exactly where most of us thought they would be three months ago when the season started. They have everything right in front of them. The talk about the number one seed, that was fun. But I got to tell you, the only reason I wanted the number one seed was that buy in the first round. Home field advantage means nothing for the Jaguars. You know why? They're two and four at Everbank Stadium. They're not any good at home. Prove me wrong on Sunday. They're staring a two and five home record in the face if they lose to Baltimore. So don't tell me they need home field advantage. What is what good does that do? The Jaguars are much better on the road. They're 6-1 and one outside of Everbank Stadium, and they're 2-4 and four inside of Everbank Stadium. I wanted the number one seed for the bye. But the fact remains, the bye's gone. You're not going to have the number one seed anymore. That sucks, but whatever. You move on. But it's all right in front of you. And for people to think that the sky is falling and Trent Balky this and Calvin Ridley that, 
Just pump the brakes a little bit. Good heavens. It wasn't that long ago. In fact, it was less than two calendar years ago where we were already a month or two into mock draft simulators. I was already having draft guys on Hacker After Dark in December to break down the Senior Bowl and the East-West Shrine game. Being upset about being 8-5 and five is ironic as all get-out to me based on where the Jaguars were for a majority of the last 15 years. There are a lot of teams. In fact, I'd say there are currently 13 teams in the AFC that would love to be 8-5 and five and leading a division. There are a lot of teams in the NFC that would love to be 8-5 and five and leading their division. Understandably, expectations can change. Goals can change as we move on in the year. This next month, these next four games, forget the number one seed. That's not going to happen. Home field advantage, you hopefully get that in round one. But again, home field means nothing. The Jaguars haven't been any good here anyway. Win the division and get in. And I say all that coming to this. Look at the AFC right now. There are 11 teams that are 7-6 and six or better. 11. Four of those will not even make the postseason. Is there a dominant team? Miami? They don't beat anybody with a winning record. Baltimore? They're good. Rams put 31 on them in Baltimore yesterday, a middle-of-the-pack NFC team. Took them to overtime. Kansas City's not elite. Are you kidding me? I understand Cleveland and Cincinnati just beat you. But if you play them again, you'll get them here for whatever that's worth. Pump the brakes. In the words of Aaron Rodgers from a few years ago, Jaguar fans need to relax. Eight and five, leading the division. If the playoffs started today, you'd be in with a home game in round one. And in fact, not to get too far ahead, but I'm not sure if the four seed isn't a very good spot to be in. You'll have a tough game in round one, but if you get through there, I would love to go to Miami Divisional Weekend for two reasons. One, you don't have to worry about weather. Two, There'll be 15,000 Jaguar fans that can make that trip. You think the Brigade, the Teal Street Hooligans, Jaguar Nation won't descend on South Florida? Those people can't sell tickets to save their life. And three, if chalk holds in round one, Kansas City and Baltimore could potentially be playing each other that weekend. So you would not have to beat both of them. Would it be hard to beat Miami? Yeah, of course. But I'd much rather take my chances in South Florida against Miami divisional weekend than having to go to Baltimore or than having to go to Arrowhead. I would love to play Miami. I'd love to have the Ravens and the Chiefs beat the crap out of each other so that you only have to play one of them instead of both of them. Again, getting a little far ahead based on the last two games, but I think the Jaguars are okay. I will go ahead and tell you I'm picking Baltimore to win Sunday night. I'm not breaking any news there. I will not pick the Jaguars to win an important game at home again until they actually do it. They will have to prove me wrong. 
I got bit against Kansas City. I got bit against San Francisco. I picked the Niners to win, but I said it'd be close. <coughs> it wasn't. And I got bit last week against Cincinnati. Will not pick the Jaguars to win an important home game again, though they do it. So I will pick Baltimore to win the game. Jaguars proved me wrong on Sunday night. But Jacksonville Jaguar fans, my message to you tonight is clear. Do not panic. Four games to go. You control your own destiny for a division title. You control your own destiny for a postseason berth. You control your own destiny for at least one home playoff game. And in the American Football Conference this year, with 11 teams, 7 and 6 or better, four of those teams will be eliminated, won't even get in. The parity is unlike anything we've seen in quite some time in the AFC. I could close my eyes and imagine Miami, Baltimore, Kansas City, Buffalo, potentially with the way they're playing Cincinnati, and dare I say even Jacksonville coming out of the AFC playoffs. The important thing is getting in. Getting in. Again, four decent teams will not get in that are at least seven and six or better as of right now. Get in, win the division, have a home game in round one, and then let the chips fall where they may. Losing to Cincinnati was brutal. Losing to Cleveland was unfortunate. But everything at eight and five is still right in front of you. And I cannot believe I'm having to be the positive guy here. I cannot believe that I have to be the voice of reason for some Jaguar fans out there today. But if that's my calling here in the third week of December, leading into Baltimore, that is what I will do. 641-1010 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to shoot us a text, you are more than welcome to do so. We will keep you updated. Monday night football is underway. Again, Green Bay and the New York Giants, also the Titans and the Miami Dolphins. Coming up next, my buddy Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Let's talk about Cleveland. Let's look ahead to Baltimore. And let's talk about some of the issues going on right now with this Jaguar football team. Brian Sexton next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars now 8-5 and five after yesterday's loss in Cleveland as they set their sights on Sunday night football when they welcome in Lamar Jackson and the 10-3 and three Baltimore Ravens. With that, let me welcome in my friend Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Brian, we're good. Thank you for the time. And all right, last time you and I talked, the Jaguars were 8-3, and three, coming off a yep. huge win in Houston, and all was right with the world. And here we are 14 short days later, 8-5, and five, and a lot of questions, Brian, but I guess, well, that's the National Football League for you. Well, it is. You can ask the people in Philadelphia or in uh, Kansas City today. You know, a couple of weeks ago, those two teams played on Monday Night Football, and they build it as a, uh, you know, a preview potentially of the Super Bowl. And, and now both of those teams have lost back-to-back weeks. It, it happens in the NFL. 
and look, I mean, you're a missed Brandon McManus field goal from being nine and four. Um, so I get it. The defense has some issues down the field and you don't feel like they're playing good football. It's certainly they're not playing consistently on either side of the ball right now. And you've got all these injuries, but they're eight and five, got a big home game this week. And I've been saying, look, if you win this week, you'll claim the AFC South. I know mathematically it won't completely be over, but you look at what's happening with the, the quarterback in Houston and you see the schedule they've got in front of them. And then you see that and the Colts are kind of smoking mirrors. They got to do it with defense, put Gardner Minshew in a specific spot where he can make a throw. It's just, if the Jags come out and win on Sunday and beat the Ravens, they will put the nail in the coffin for the AFC South, and they'll own it. Brian, a couple of things jump out to me about yesterday's game that I want to throw at you. There's a couple negatives and a couple of positives. Let's begin with the All negative. Right. All right. Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones were thrown to 27 times apiece yesterday. They are their combined targets. My Wolfson High School math will tell me when only nine of those balls are completed, that means 66% of the time the ball went in Ridley or Jones's direction. It was incomplete. How troublesome is that? All right. Well, first of all, Wolfson High is a magnet school, so your math is pretty good. <laughs> um, I, here's where it's troubling. It's troubling to me from the Calvin Ridley perspective because on both of the interceptions, it appeared that he didn't know where he was going. It appeared as if he was out of the position. And it's no coincidence that when he played his best games with Zay Jones in the lineup, it was because he and Zay were collaborating on what was happening. It appears to me that there's some chemistry issues. I mean, it clears to everybody that there's some chemistry issues there. Um, the other thing that you mentioned about Zay Jones, look, I mean, Zay was playing on the opposite side of the field from Ridley yesterday because Christian Kirk is not involved right now. And I think that's a big deal. You know, modern football is about getting guys, playmakers like Ridley, in space and then asking them to beat their man one-on-one. -on -one. It's kind of like basketball. you got to space the field correctly, and it really hurts that you don't have Christian Kirk out there right now. I mean, he's a guy that just – he is so dangerous, especially on third down, that defenses had to account for him. And safeties were looking for number seven yesterday. You saw it on that fourth down throw. They didn't have to look the other way. Didn't even pay attention to where Parker Washington was. They were they were worried about Zay because of the propensity for the quarterback to go at number seven on critical third downs. And so not having Jones hurt or pardon me, not having Kirk hurts Jones and Ridley, and then Ridley hurt himself yesterday on a couple of those routes where it just appeared, and I haven't talked to Calvin, he doesn't talk until Wednesdays. I know you're in the locker room, you'll hear it as well, but it appeared that he didn't understand where he was supposed to be. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. That's the negative. The positive, and it's unfortunate because the two losses have completely overshadowed this, Evan Ingram in two games is putting up numbers like Jimmy Smith used to put up. I believe he has 17 yeah. catches for 170-plus yards and three touchdowns. Brian, he's one of the best tight ends in football right now. Yeah, if you go and look at the numbers on tight ends, you will find that Travis Kelsey – and, and maybe Greg Kittle are these guys that have better numbers than he does. But he's already set the Jaguars' single-season receptions by a tight end, Mark. And he said it last year, and he broke it yesterday. Uh, he is playing at a very, very high level, and it's a good thing. Because without him, I'm not sure where they'd be. They need him to open things up for, for Zay and for Ridley. He is such a, a, a problem 
He is faster than most linebackers. He's bigger than safeties. And he's a guy with just this keen sense of the ball and where it's supposed to go. You know, he had some drops last season and then boom, had that Tennessee game in early December. And since then, he's been a complete monster for people to deal with. In the locker room yesterday after the game, it, it was him who had the most remorse for Christian Kirk because he understands that if Christian Kirk is on the field, he's even more dangerous because without Kirk, defenses are now going to say we're 17 because clearly 17 outside of the red zone, deep inside the red zone, no matter where he's at on the field, he's a problem. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, you know, Kirk is gone. Parker Washington, you mentioned him. Look, he's a sixth-round rookie who was hurt this year. I know he had the fumble yesterday. But I got to tell you, Brian, watching the game back this morning, a lot of sixth-round rookies to me would have tucked tail and said, you know, today's not my day after that fumble. That catch Parker Washington made for that touchdown, that's two weeks in a row. He's made big boy catches for touchdowns. They might have found something with Parker Washington. Well, I think they did. Look, those are the kinds of catches that, truthfully, Christian Kirk makes. But here's let, let, let me give you a completely different dimension. Most people haven't paid attention to it. So you say he's replacing a Pro Bowl caliber receiver in Christian Kirk. At the same time, he's replacing a Pro Bowl caliber return man in Jamal Agnew. He is not doing one big job for a sixth-round Ricky who was hurt. He is doing two. And yesterday he gave you a big 11-yard return. And he gave you one, what, 22, 23 yards as well. He is he's a good young player. And, yeah, he fumbled the punt. He had to fall on it against the Bengals. And he had to fumble yesterday because he's trying to do too much, trying to make a move to the outside and pick up a first down. But he's a really good, promising young player. And I mean to tell you, it's hard enough to throw a kid in there and say, hey, you got to be like 13. But to say you got to be like him and Agnew, it's a lot. And he's doing a pretty decent job at it. A couple of more for Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. To me, the Parker Washington equivalent on the defense is Antonio Johnson. I'm at the point now, Brian, where I want to see more Antonio Johnson on the field. Well, I think you're going to. Doug Peterson said in his news conference earlier today that Andre Sisco is dealing with a groin, and those tend to be like hamstrings. They can linger. So I don't know that you're going to see him this week. Obviously, we're early, and, and that can change. Um, Johnson's a guy that they drafted, knowing there's only one more year on Rayshon Jenkins' contract and that Rayshon is going to get to the other side of 30 here. Um, he was drafted to be on the field with Andre Sisco. I mean, that's your safety tandem going forward. And you saw him on that blitz. And You know, I don't know whether people realize he's 6'3", and he's a 200-pound guy who plays big and long. And he, he, again, he's trying to figure it out. He's missed a bunch of time with a hamstring injury that he suffered in training camp. But he's starting to make his, his presence felt. Had a couple of passes where he was in on it. Had a couple of big plays yesterday that weren't quite as big as the sack strip. But still, in their own right, at the moment he made them, the Jaguars defense really needed them. You're going to see more from him. And I think as you see more from him, you're going to understand the vision for what that safety tandem should look like going forward. And, Brian, look, I'm never going to be confused for being the most positive guy when it comes to the Jaguars. Goodness knows I get a lot of grief uh, from people. I've got that rule. Exactly. Yeah, I've got that rule covered, yeah. You get a lot of grief saying you're too negative, this, that, and the other. But i got to tell you, in watching the game back yesterday or this morning and even back to last week against Cincy, two losses, and that sucks, and there's no sugarcoating that. But without Kirk, I mean, Kirk played one play of the last yeah. two games. The offense has scored 58 points. And yesterday, they turned it over four times. 
they left Cleveland tight ends wide open where they could fair catch touchdowns. I mean, the team played awful, and yet it's 31-27 against the Browns team that was 5-1 yeah. and one at home going into yesterday's game. Point See, being, they did not – I mean, they lost – but there is still things to be positive about. I was going to say, I think you're going down the right road here. Just consider for a moment that they were playing with a quarterback that none of us thought was going to play. They've got no practice time whatsoever. Who had the backup to the backup to the backup, right? I mean, Walker Little is the backup. And two levels down the depth chart, you had Blake Hance trying to block all-world Miles Garrett. And he didn't do a bad job. Plus, you had Kirk, who was not in the game. I mean, let me tell you something. For them yesterday to make it a four-point game, having turned the ball over four times, that says something about the way that this team is coached and plays. They have a lot of ground to make up. They had a lot of mental mistakes. They shot themselves in the foot over and over and over. But it is not a stretch to say that if they only turned the ball over twice yesterday, they might win with all those injured players on the sidelines and a lot of backups out there. There's a lot of reason to think that this team still has an opportunity to make some noise in the postseason. Four games remain. I said if you win this one on Sunday, you're going to have a home playoff game. It's tough right now because you have back-to-back losses. But if you just take a deep breath and, and look at some of the things from a big macro perspective, which, you know, to be completely honest with you, it's tough to ask fans to do. It's tough to ask them to see all the little things week in and week out. But if people can can have a big-picture perspective on it, there are some reasons to think that they can get this thing going. In fact, I just asked Doug, because he said yesterday in Cleveland in his postgame, we're not playing our best football at a time of the year where you want to be playing your best football. And my question was, is there enough time? With four games left, can you get to a place where you're playing good enough football to make some noise? He said, Absolutely but we can't hurt ourselves with the mental mistakes, the penalties, and the turnovers that we have the last couple of weeks. And I look at the AFC as a whole, and I know a lot of media markets are probably saying the same thing we are, and that's fine. There's 11 teams that are 7-6 and six or better right now in the AFC. Four of those teams aren't even going to make it, and when you look at the teams that will make it, you talk about a dominant team. Well, probably the most dominant is the team coming in here on Sunday in Baltimore and yet they were an eyelash away from losing at home to a middle-of-the-pack NFC team in the Rams yesterday. So I think getting in, Brian, anything can happen because Kansas City is not Kansas City anymore. Miami no. is good, but anytime they play a team above 500, they get killed. Baltimore is good, but they have flaws. And then I think everybody else is right there in the middle. Look, the difference between – you know, the Bills and the Bengals, you know, those seven and six teams and the top are a couple of injured players. That's it. I don't think anybody really separates themselves in the AFC. There are dominant players, but there isn't a dominant team. I think the Jaguars are, are right where they belong, right? Squarely in the middle of this entire thing. They're not in the lead team at their best. They approach that, but they're not there. They've got a ways to go on the back end of the defense where they're, you know, they're injured and they're giving up too many yards, too many big plays, too many broken plays. A couple of those touchdowns yesterday were just ridiculous. You know, guys being out of position or not even seeing where they were supposed to be in the case of Njoku's two touchdowns and David Bell's. They got to clean some things up. But are they squarely where they belong? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're 
maybe they'd be a game better. Maybe they'd be nine and four and a little bit more cushion, but they're a team with some injuries. They're a team with some flaws. And as you just mentioned, if you get there, if you get a game that matches up with you at home, well, all right, game on the 96 Jaguars. And I know people are going, there's the old man again, going back to 96, but they were four and seven and they got hot. They were playing good football in December. And then they got some matchups that worked for them. They were able to take it advantage of and got to the AFC championship game. Could this team? Yeah, absolutely. Will they? Stay tuned. Final moments, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. I imagine Indianapolis and Houston are both kicking themselves. The Jaguars gave them an opening yesterday. They were not able to take advantage of. Jaguars still the overwhelming favorite in the division, Brian. That, to me, is the goal, right? Expectations change as the season goes on. To me, the next month is all about winning the division and then letting the chips fall where they may. And that brings me to Baltimore. You and I sat here 14 days ago talking about the national TVs are back. Cincinnati, Monday Night Football, another opportunity, and they lost again. That's San Francisco, KC, and Cincinnati that have all come in here in a primetime spotlight, if you will, and the Jaguars underperformed. Is there any reason to believe that things will be different on Sunday night? Sure. I mean, I'm the optimist. You know, you get home, you get Walker Little back, perhaps. You get some guys back into the lineup. You get a home crowd that's all fired up, and the quarterback who's a little bit more mobile and they spend the week with Calvin Ridley making sure he's on the right page, all of a sudden perhaps maybe you get the running game started. I know all these things are if, 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 but that's week to week in the NFL. If things work out, if you have a good week on the practice field, and let's be honest, they didn't last week. They didn't have the quarterback on the practice field last week. And so some of those errant passes were, you know, the ankle and the lack of precision based on practice. So if you get some of these things back, yeah, there's a reason to believe that they can step out on the field. And plus, I mean, you set yourself, the Rams, the Rams, who are middle of the pack, seven and 16 now, go in there and and they got them pushed right to the ropes. Here's where the Ravens have an advantage over everybody. Their pass rush is fierce. I mean, their pass rush is far enough. They have more than 50 sacks with four games to play. They look fearsome. And you've got an offensive line that is mismatched right now. I mean, just kind of pieced together. That looks to be a real problem. But if the Jaguars get takeaways, right, like they did, and give short field scoring opportunities, sure, there's no reason to think they can't win. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, tell them what's coming up on Jaguars.com heading into the Baltimore game on Sunday. Jaguars AM, Jags Wired, happy hour. I mean, it's it's full tilt ahead. I, I You know, this sounds like I'm bragging, but – we put a lot of content out there and a lot of time. The Hunt is coming out again with a new episode shortly. I wish I knew the date off the top of my head. I should have looked that up. I will next time. Um, there, there are a lot of cameras and a lot of microphones in this building. And, and Doug Peterson is very, very receptive to us telling the inside story of the team. And we do that, I think, uh, as well as any team in the league. So uh, if you want to know the story from a first-person perspective, uh, the hunt does it as well as anyone in the league. Brian, I know you're very busy on Mondays, man. Thank you for taking time out. We certainly appreciate it. Have a happy holidays, and we'll talk again soon. You got it. There you go, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on Hacker After Dark. A couple of Monday night football games ongoing. Green Bay and New York scoreless uh, midway through the first quarter. New York is driving at the Packer 27-yard line. Tennessee and Miami get a load of this. 
Miami had the ball at the Tennessee one, fumbled snap, Tennessee recovers. Three plays later, Will Levis throws a pick six to a defensive tackle. He was looking, I guess, for a tight end screen and a defensive tackle, number 92. I'll get his name here in a moment, but a, a guy that doesn't normally touch the football, let's just say that, found his way into the end zone. So Miami, a 7 nothing lead over the Titans, seven minutes to go first quarter. Green Bay and the Giants are scoreless. We will keep you updated. Coming up next, we'll go around the National Football League. Also in about 20 minutes, it is Monday night coaching with Campo as Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, will make his weekly appearance. A lot to do. Hacker After Dark rolls on here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hey, yeah, I want to shoot, baby. Shoot. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, Monday night coaching with Campo, as my buddy Dave Campo will make his weekly appearance here. Also in the 9 o'clock hour, Bill Bender, national college football writer for the Sporting News. We'll talk Florida and everything going on down there with the Gators. Obviously, the Florida State fallout from not making it into the playoff. And we will talk about the college football playoff. As, uh, believe it or not, bowl season is set to begin coming up here on Saturday. And bowl season will run this Saturday up until the national championship game, January the 8th. A couple pieces of business to discuss. Monday night football, Miami's still up 7 nothing on Tennessee, although a lot of Miami players have been banged up. In fact, Tyreek Hill is being looked at right now. He's getting up very gingerly on the sideline, appears to be okay, but Tennessee is certainly uh, laying the lumber to the Miami Dolphins. In fact, Tyreek Hill is limping a little bit coming off the field. We'll keep you updated on that. He's walking off un- under his own power, but you can certainly see a limp there. Uh, but again, Miami 7 nothing on the Titans. I believe they are still scoreless in the other Monday nighter, Green Bay and the New York football giants. So yesterday in the National Football League, a couple of things really stood out. Number one, obviously Buffalo and Kansas City last night. The Kadarius Tony penalty, which was absolutely a penalty. But I got to tell you, there's trouble in paradise in KC. You saw Chris Jones get into it with his defensive line coach in the middle of the game. <coughs> Mahomes lost his mind on an official. And Patrick Mahomes, that was a bad look last night. I don't know if you guys saw the video. I'm sure you did if you were on social media today. Josh Allen came over to him after the game, as players do, to shake hands and you know congratulate each other, whatever. And Mahomes congratulated him but then kept going on about that penalty, about, you know, blankety-blank this and blankety-blank that. And you could tell Josh Allen was a little stunned. I was like, wow, all right. And that's just a bad look for Mahomes. To me, it came across Mahomes being kind of a spoiled brat a little bit. Think about all the calls that have gone Kansas City's way since he arrived there and that dynasty has begun at Arrowhead. And the referees got the call right. He was complaining about nonsense because the call was right. Kadarius Toney was lined up offsides. 
That was factual. Now, it took away probably the play of the year in the NFL and what would have been one of the great plays in recent NFL history, but it was a penalty, so I don't blame the refs at all. And Kansas City now at 8-5, and five, they've lost three games at home, and they will not have the Arrowhead Invitational. The AFC Championship game has jokingly been referred to as the Arrowhead Invitational because I think it's been there like five or six years in a row. Not this year. Baltimore with a two-game lead on them with four to go. Miami potentially will be a game up on them after tonight. And the interesting thing for Kansas City now, they're all of a sudden only one game up on Denver. Denver out of nowhere is seven and six. Kansas City is eight and five. And remember, Denver beat Kansas City the last time they played. So the Chiefs now have some work to do just to win their own division and get ready for the postseason. Kind of similar to Jacksonville, right? Speaking of divisions in the AFC South, the Jaguars got some luck yesterday. Uh, Indianapolis was bad in their loss to Cincinnati. Long time coming. I think Indy's played above um, where they should be. No, no offense to Gardner Minshew. You guys know I love Minshew. But that team was 7-3 and three against everybody not named Jacksonville going into yesterday. Cincinnati kind of laid one on them. And I'll be very curious how Indy responds to that. They have a quick week. They play Saturday in a gigantic game against Pittsburgh. And then Houston yesterday in New York, to me, that loss was very similar to Jacksonville's loss to Cincinnati. Yes, it's only one loss in the L column, but Houston got beat up yesterday. They're already without Tank Dell for the year. Yesterday, Nico Collins left with a calf injury. C.J. Stroud left and is in concussion protocol. Will Anderson left with an ankle. Not only did Houston lose the game, they got beat up in the process. So I kind of wonder where Houston is now after the Jets laying one on them. Again, Jacksonville, 8-5. and five. Both Indy and Houston, 7-6. and six. But again, that's sort of irrelevant. With tiebreakers, the Colts have to finish with a better record than Jacksonville. They can't finish tied because Jacksonville has the tiebreaker. They beat them twice. So the Jaguars are two games up on Indy with four to go. Houston, it's a similar story. The Jaguars and Houston split, but Jacksonville currently has the better division record, which is the next tiebreaker. So even though it says 8-5 and five for the Jags and 7-6 and six for the Texans, no, 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 no. In reality, the Jaguars again are up basically a game and a half on Houston with four games to go. If the Jaguars take care of business at home against Carolina, if they split Tampa and Tennessee on the road and finish 2-2, two and two, they're going to win the division. I'm very confident 10-7 and seven wins this division. Hopefully they do better than that. But at 10-7, and seven, you would then force Houston or Indy to have to go 4-0 from here on out. And of course they play each other week 18. So that's not possible for one of them to do that. A lot of football left with the Jaguars in a very good spot in the AFC South quickly, Denmark. I haven't spoken to you since the high school finals on Thursday and Friday. Unfortunately, all three of our area teams, St. Augustine, Bradford County and Mandarin 
all lost in the state championship game. Unfortunate ends to their year, but terrific years nonetheless for those three programs. Yeah, all three teams did. Uh, they did really well this season. Mandarin, uh, Bradford, and St. Augustine. St. Augustine was the closest one, lost on a game-winning field goal. And uh, big shout out to Bradford. They brought, I I believe, the most fans, and I don't think it was close the, out of the uh, entire three day weekend. So shout out all the teams that came up short, but uh, it was a good season for all of them. High school football officially in the books for 2023. We will reconvene on that when spring football begins in mid to late April. Green Bay has scored. Jaden Reed a 16 yard touchdown run. Green Bay seven nothing on the Giants late in the first quarter. Coming up next, more on the National Football League, more on the Jaguars and their loss yesterday, and a look ahead to Baltimore on Sunday night with Dave Campo, the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. He joins us next. It's a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker, Ryan Green with you, and Jacksonville. We are glad. You are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars fall to Cleveland yesterday, are now 8-5 and five on the year, and Sunday night football rolls in with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens traveling to Jacksonville this Sunday. With all that being said, I welcome in my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, obviously we've lost two in a row, so that kind of puts a little bit of a damper on it. But, uh, you know, I'm confident that we're going to be able to get it turned around. You know, that's the kind of approach that you have to take. Coach, I've never been positive guy, and I told you this on the fifth quarter last night, and I went back and watched the game again this morning. And I got to tell you, as poorly as Jacksonville played, I mean, you had Cleveland Browns players running wide open for touchdowns. The offense committed four turnovers. I mean, it was a cluster you-know-what at times, and yet it's 31-27 with an onside kick with a minute 40 to go. I I mean – the Jaguars were there despite playing horribly for a majority of that game. Yeah, uh, you know, I think, you know, after watching it again, you know, a lot of times on the on the fifth quarter, you know, you have a little problem because, you know, everything that sticks out to you is negative, you know, when you don't win. And so, you know, we're a little bit hard, I think, on, on the, the team itself in that situation after looking at it again uh there were there were a lot of good things that happened in the ball game especially defensively you know i kind of jumped the defense a little last night in the fifth quarter but i'm telling you that that uh you know they 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 played well in the first half with the exception that they busted two coverages and that's the kind of thing that's really hurting us you know we, we're just not cleaned with this football team right now. There's a lot of good things happen. Uh, you know, we got them out on third down a bunch of times, but we just, when in critical situations, we've made too many mistakes. And that's really what is hurting us right now, whether it's focus or whether it's preparation 
receivers uh, not running the right route. The quarterback wasn't great yesterday. So there are a lot of things that just kind of made the game close when it shouldn't have been. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. My friend Dave Campo is with us every Monday. Coach, you mentioned the wide receivers and the quarterback. That was certainly a big topic yesterday. 27 targets combined for Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley. Only nine completions. Uh, I can do my Wolfson math on that pretty quick. 66% of the time that the ball was thrown to Jones and Ridley, it was not caught. Some are on them. Some are on Trevor, but the bottom line, Coach, that's a problem. Yeah, there's no question, and and, and that was not a clean day. You know, uh, Ridley uh, made a couple of uh, bad decisions on running route. Zay Jones, I'm not sure whether he made the bad decision or or Trevor made the bad decision. Uh, the one that that uh, you know everybody's on listening to the radio this morning. Everybody's on the fact that on a third and one. Uh, they threw a takeoff to Ridley. Well, that was a checkoff because they went four across the board, but the corners backed way up, and Ridley didn't think the ball was coming to him. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's the ball, and they get another interception. So the timing wasn't good with those guys. Some of that, I think, is the fact that Trevor was getting a little bit of pressure, but at the same time, he he's coming off of a week of no practice. And, and I'm a big believer, if you don't practice, it's hard to execute. And some of the things that are hurt, obviously, is the timing with receivers. Coach, is the fan base's criticism of Calvin Ridley fair to this point? I think it is because there are some plays that he should have made if he's uh, supposed to be who he's supposed to be. Uh, and there are some times that he's kind of uh, – ab- you know, uh, ad-libbing right, routes. Uh, and and you just can't do that. It's just too critical uh, in situations, especially when the games are close like they are in the NFL. Uh, you know, it, the route that, that uh, Trevor threw the interception when they were down on the 25-yard line or wherever they were, uh, when Ridley ran the, the, the post and it was thrown behind him, he never even saw the ball. He ran the route too deep. So the timing wasn't there. Trevor was throwing on time, and it would have been a bang-bang catch and maybe run into the end zone. But he ran it a little too deep. He probably took one or two extra steps, and the ball was already out. Quarterback can't hold on to the ball forever. And that's, you know, those kind of things, uh, you can't have those things and win ball games. And that's when you look at us, you say, this is a good football team, but we are not clean right now in a lot of areas. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. My friend Dave Campo with us every Monday here on 1010XL. Coach, one of the things that's been overshadowed in the last two weeks is the performance of Evan Ingram. In the last two games, Evan Ingram, 17 catches, over 170 yards, and three touchdowns. Despite the losses, which is what we're focusing on, Ingram is playing like a top five or, dare I say, a top three tight end in the league right now. Yeah, you know, he's a he's a uh, big wide receiver playing tight end. And, you know, the, the thing that with him is uh, the routes that he runs, he's the best receiver on the field. They had two of those guys with Kirk 
and, and Ridley. Both of those guys are excellent route runners, get themselves in open areas, are good run-after-catch uh, run guys. And, you know, un unfortunately, Kirk's hurt. But uh, Evan Ingram, all I heard about Evan Ingram coming in was that he wasn't as good as everybody thought he was, and he dropped a lot of balls. He doesn't drop anything. As a matter of fact, he catches things that other people can't catch. So, you know, he deserves uh, all the accolades that he can get because he's the best guy on the field right now as far as receiver is concerned. You know, you mentioned the fifth quarter that you and I and Leon seriously do two hours after the games on Sundays. I love that show because it's fresh, it's instant, the reaction is real, and it's passionate from the callers and from us. But when you do get a chance to step back and we rewatch the game on Monday mornings, I got to tell you, uh, Parker Washington fumbled. Obviously, it was a big play, resulted in a touchdown. But for a sixth-round rookie who's been thrust in there to come back and make that touchdown catch that he made in the fourth quarter, Coach, that was a big-boy catch. I mean, he's now made two what I would call big-boy catches for touchdowns in back-to-back -back weeks. They may have found something in Parker Washington. Well, there's no question that he was picked because he's capable of making those kind of plays, and he's really almost a clone of Kirk. You know, he's a slot receiver that can run. He's got speed. Uh, the one, he, the ball he caught for the for the touchdown, you know, that's a slot route. And if you're good enough, that back shoulder throw, uh, if they're if a team is playing man on man on you, you got a great chance of making a play there. And he made a great catch. And he's done that. He, he just doesn't have enough experience yet. And, you know, being injured, he didn't get as many reps in practice over the course of the entire season. Uh, he's one that really, that's a, that's a keeper, in my opinion. He's a guy that can play the slot, can do a bunch of things, can be a returner. Uh, that was a good pick, in my opinion. A couple of more for head coach Dave Campo. You mentioned earlier, Coach, Maybe you were a little too hard on the defense last night. After re-watching the film, what's your thought on the defensive performance from yesterday? Well, first of all, I, there's no excuse for the two plays that they busted. You know, the one was uh, they went into a uh, only two safeties in the game and three linebackers and six linemen, including the, the two outside rushers, when, when, uh, when uh, Cleveland went into the – big package with all the, the tight ends and a fullback in there. Nobody covered in Joku. He just ran right straight down the field. There was nobody covering. They had no free safety. So that's ridiculous. If somebody made a mistake, somebody had him man to man and they didn't cover him, whether it was the outside guy coming by mistake or whether he had him and the linebacker uh, Lloyd had him. One of them busted. And then in Joku's second touchdown uh it was uh I, I believe it was lloyd all the way they they ran a zone pressure from the strong side and i believe he was supposed to slide into the middle of the field and he didn't and Njoku was wide open on the crossing route and then uh cisco missed the tackle but the rest of the ball game you know they made two critical turnovers the first two touchdowns jacksonville got were after turnovers uh, inside uh, Cleveland territory. So overall, during the course of the ball game, 
they played probably well enough to win, but those two mistakes cost us the football game, in my opinion. You know, you take a deep breath. Hard to believe there are still four games to go. We have another month of the season. It is truly a marathon now in the National Football League. And when you take stock of the AFC coach, Miami's playing right now against Tennessee. We'll see what happens there on Monday Night Football. But there are 11 teams in the AFC that are 7-6 and six or better. Four of those 11 will miss the playoffs entirely, which is crazy. The other seven will get in. I'm not sure if there's a dominant team. I mean, Baltimore, I guess, but they struggled with a middle-of-the-pack Rams team yesterday and had to win on a punt return in overtime. I guess my point is, in the AFC this year, maybe more so than at least in the last couple of years, just getting in gives you a shot because I'm not sure if there is that dominant force this year in the AFC. Well, the interesting thing is, to me, it's one of two things. Either there's a lot of uh, parity in the AFC or there's a lot of mediocrity in the AFC. I'm not sure right now because when I look at the Dallas Cowboys right now and I look at uh, San Francisco in the NFC, uh, those guys are battle-tested, and I think they're probably the best two teams in the league. And now on the uh, AFC side, you said it, you know, Baltimore struggled. That's kind of the NFL. You know, parity is the key in the NFL. And, uh, you know, anything can happen down the stretch here. You know, you you got guys that are seven and six. But when you look at last year, you know, we, we won the uh, AFC South with a nine and eight record. And that we probably might not have made the playoffs if we wouldn't, didn't win the division. So, you know, the, it, it, the AFC is a tight-knit group right now. To have 11 out of that group in the uh, playoff picture is, is, is insane. Wrapping things up with head coach Dave Campo, Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, that brings us to now the future. Four games to go, beginning with Baltimore on Sunday night. We'll get there in just a moment. But the goals change, right? The season goes on. The expectations change. Number one seed is over, which I wasn't a – I mean, I wanted to buy from that. As far as home field, they've been terrible at home. I don't really know how much that helps them. But certainly the buy would have. That's not going to happen now. To me, it's very simple. Win the division. Win the division. Get in. Guarantee yourself one home playoff game and let the chips fall where they may. And the good thing for Jacksonville coach – based on tiebreakers, is they are still the overwhelming favorite in the AFC South. Yeah, uh, I mean, we obviously control what's going to happen here in these last four ball games. I think this one right here coming up against the Ravens, uh, that's, that's a tough game, but we played pretty good against the Ravens over the years. So that'll be interesting to see, but we have to make sure we win the games that we're supposed to win. And, and it's going to be uh, a situation where every game is a playoff game from here on out. we got to take care of business, and, and we own our own responsibility there. Yeah, home against Baltimore at Tampa Bay, home against Carolina at Tennessee. It's not a daunting schedule, which does bring me to Baltimore. Coach, here we go again. This will be the fourth time the Jaguars have had a, quote, showcase game at home nationally this year. They did not score an offensive touchdown in a loss to Kansas City. San Francisco came in here and absolutely 
just annihilated them. And then a few short days ago, Cincinnati on Monday night came in here and beat them. And now here we go again. National TV cameras are back. Eyes of the NFL back once again. Jacksonville for the fourth time. They're 0-3 in these games. Coach, why is there reason to believe Sunday will be any different? Well, because it's the NFL. You know, anything can happen on any given uh, day. Uh, I still believe, and that's why I said earlier that, that uh, you know, yeah, I'm not, uh, you're a little, we're a little negative sometimes after a loss, but, you know, I still believe this football team has enough talent on it to play with anybody. So there's no guarantee in any of these games in either direction. It depends on how they play that night. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you're looking at it, you're probably saying, hey, uh, this team is not ready for prime time. Well, if this team's not ready for prime time against Baltimore, they're not going to be ready for prime time during the playoffs either. So it's our business to get ready to go, line up, and play football and play a clean game. And hopefully Trevor will be feeling a little bit better with another week. And, uh, you know, maybe we get uh, Walker Little back. Uh, hopefully we get a couple guys that can help us back. Jaguars are 2-4 and four at home, amazingly, 2-4 and four this year at Everbank Stadium. And the Baltimore Ravens come in on Sunday night. It'll be the first Sunday night home game in a long time here in Jacksonville, Florida. Coach, the work never stops for you, me, and Leon Searcy. The answer is yes, there will be a fifth quarter. I guess Monday morning is when we'll be on the air, Coach, two hours after the Ravens and the Jaguars go final. I'm looking forward to it. As fun as that was after Cincinnati, it would be nice to talk about a win at 1.30 in the morning this time around, and that's something we certainly will hope to do. That, that would be nice. And uh, other than my wife, you and Leon are the only ones that I would enjoy staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning with, especially <laughs> with a win. That's exactly right. Head coach Dave Campo, always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, appreciate you, my friend. I'll see you on, uh, I guess, Monday morning there at the studio. You got it. Have a good one. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. We got two competitive games, Monday Night Football, Green Bay and the New York Football Giants tied 7-7. Five minutes to go in the second quarter. And how about this? Down in South Florida, Titans 7, Dolphins 7. And in fact, Miami has not scored an offensive touchdown. Their only points of the game came on a pick six. They just had a field goal blocked. Then, Mark, I was telling you this earlier. Watching the Dolphins this year, it reminds me of, like, the greatest show on turf. Now, the Rams were better with Warner and Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Marshall Falk. I'm not saying the Dolphins have that level of talent. But a lot of people couldn't figure out how to beat the Rams when they were that good at those skill positions until Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl with New England said, all right, you got three future Hall of Famers, or four, I guess, with the quarterback and Warner. We're just going to knock the hell out of you every time you come across the middle. We're going to pound on you. We're going to give you your 15-yard slants, but we're going to make you pay for it every time. And in the fourth quarter, Bruce and Holt and those guys for the Rams weren't very interested in doing a whole lot across the middle. That's what Tennessee's doing to Miami tonight. 
Um, Jalen Waddle has been down and looked at by the training staff. Tyreek Hill has been down and looked at by the training staff. Tennessee is laying the lumber to Miami. Now, the Miami offense, I'm sorry, the Titan offense hasn't been good enough to take advantage. They only have one score of their own. But I can't remember the Dolphins in this high-powered offensive attack not scoring an offensive point in a half of football this year. And unless they get a point here in the last minute, they will go an entire half without scoring because this Titan defense is bringing it to them physically. We'll see what happens in half number two. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, Bill Bender, National College football writer for the Sporting News. We'll get the fallout from Florida State not making the playoff. I certainly want to talk about the four playoff teams and about the University of Florida. Since the last time I was on, Trevor Etienne has entered the transfer portal. Chris McClellan has entered the transfer portal. Yamula Land has entered the transfer portal, not gone pro. I mean, they've had some issues with guys leaving. Graham Mertz announced he's coming back. Florida has hired one new defensive assistant, reportedly Will Harris, from the Chargers staff. Obviously, they let Corey Raymond and a couple other guys go. There's been a lot of stuff going on in Gainesville, even though their season has come to an end. So we'll talk Florida, we'll talk Florida State, and a little college football playoff with my buddy Bill Bender, national college football writer for the Sporting News. It is a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you, talking a little college ball next, right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The college football regular season in the rearview mirror bowl season actually begins this Saturday, and there's certainly a lot going on with both Florida and Florida State amidst all the saga surrounding both universities. Having said all that, let me welcome in Bill Bender of the Sporting News. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Bill, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I probably shouldn't mention that I'm an Ohio kid after the Jaguars the last couple of weeks, but uh, <laughs> taking that Ohio AFC North tour. But we will be rooting for them this weekend against the Ravens. Yeah, Jake Browning and Joe Flacco have thrown for, I think, a billion yards against Jacksonville the last two games. And now we get Lamar Jackson on Sunday. So that should be an awful lot of fun. Bill, the Jaguars were covering up a lot of scar tissue from people around here for their college football fandom. Uh, and let's begin with Florida. I haven't talked to you since right around the Florida-Georgia game. Uh, it was a disaster for the Gators after that game. They did not win another game all year. They fired defensive coaches on their staff. Some of their best players are entering the portal. Uh, it's a mess in Gainesville, Bill. What are your thoughts about all that? Well, you know, we're wrapping up all American discussions at Sporting News. We do that every year, a first and second team. And Part of it is that there wasn't a Florida guy in, in too many, if any, of those conversations. And that, that to me, tells you what the problem is. You know, when you think Florida, Florida State, Miami, at least when I do, even from that vantage point in Ohio, you think about talented four- and five-star rosters, and that just wasn't there for the Gators. And you're right. I mean, last time I talked to you, I was super optimistic. You know, Florida, maybe make a full game, do this, do a couple things right, and continue to build momentum. That just did not happen. 
It did not happen in the defense. It's one of the worst Gator defenses I've seen. I'm 40 years old. I go back probably in 1990s, the first time I can really remember Gator football. I can't remember a worse Gator defense in the 34 years that I've been watching it. And, and Billy Napier is going to remain. There was some talk about that. Obviously, nothing has come to it. Uh, whether the fans like it or not, Billy Napier is going to get year three. I believe he should. I think you got to have minimum three years on the field. But clearly, Bill, when you talk about your hot seat rankings going into 2024, I would have to think Billy Napier is going to be pretty high on that list. Yeah, he'll be at a not near the top of a lot of those. And you know, this coaching cycle was not that splashy outside of Texas A&M when Jimbo was fired. I didn't think there was another hire or fire that totally blew me away after that. Um, so Florida will definitely be. And it's still a coveted job because of where it's located because of the conference it's in, because it's going to be interesting to see what their place is in the new SEC with Oklahoma and Texas, if that makes sense. I mean, in terms of, you know, what is their weight class now? I mean, it can always be a heavyweight with the right guy at that job. That's been proven. So Billy Napier will face a different level of pressure with that new level SEC in 2024. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, the transfer portal First off, before we really dive in, there are thousands, that's thousands of people in the transfer portal in the world of college football. Is the transfer portal out of control, or did they expect it was going to be like this when they instituted it? Could you imagine if our line of work operated in that level? Like after each season, <laughs> hey, I'm going in the transfer portal. I'm heading out to Iowa City or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I'm glad it doesn't uh, for job security purposes, but you're right. I mean, it's become the intent of the transfer portal and what it has become are two different things. And I feel the same way about NIL in a lot of ways that, uh, you know, the intent of what we wanted versus what it's become in the Pandora's box analogy is always used. It's two different things. There shouldn't be that many guys in the transfer portal. You don't want to deny kids the opportunity to play somewhere else. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it's become, I play one year at a school, I'm not getting what I want, I'm out. And I don't know if that's the right thing long-term for college football. Some people might disagree, but when you have that many kids in the portal, there's probably something wrong with the product itself. Well, and I mean, I look at, I think Arizona State is the team I saw earlier. They've already gotten seven commitments out of the portal and we're a week into this thing. I mean, it's crazy, the turnover, which brings me back to Florida. Look, two of their big-time D linemen, two guys that were going to be counted on, are in the portal. Trevor Etienne entered the portal, and when that happened at the end of last week, I had some Gator buddies of mine basically insinuating the sky was falling, and this was a nightmare scenario. I mean, when you have guys of that sort entering the portal, boy, that's devastating to a program. Yeah, and the wild part is like the analysis. Another thing that needs done is NCAA needs to reevaluate its calendar, right? Because this is like opening NFL free agency on wild card weekend. I I didn't think there'd be a day where there's Alabama, Texas, Michigan guys in the portal. These are teams in the playoff, and they have guys in the portal. I understand the why, but it's wild to me that this setup is set up like this. You would think that maybe the calendar to get pushed back, these kids can make their decision after the new year. But then again, 
you want to get on campus and be an early enrollee and those kind of things. So I, I think if I could fix something with college football, I'd start with the calendar and how do we do this properly when everything's getting pushed up. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Quickly, Bill, because I want to get to Florida State. There are a lot of name quarterbacks in the portal. We know Florida got Graham Mertz out of the portal last year. He's coming back for 2024, and I thought Graham Mertz had a very good year, all things considering, before the injury. But whether it's Riley Leonard, DJ Ungoalele again, I mean, you got some big-time guys in the portal. What's the one or two quarterbacks that are the most coveted that are out there right now? Well, you mentioned those two, and they certainly will be. And then Cameron Ward at Washington State. And Cameron Ward did all that with a running game that ranked 128th in the FBS. So imagine him with the, the benefit of a better running game. I think he could be fantastic. So I, I think he's the guy to look at, and maybe he'll go somewhere and land. DJU, another chance, another school will do well. And Riley Leonard was awesome before he got injured. He had Duke. They were the story, one of the biggest stories of September, and you wonder if that will continue in his new spot. I know Notre Dame's really been linked to him over the last couple of days. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. All right, Bill, let's get into Florida State. You've had a week to digest what the committee did. <laughs> I can tell you people around here that wear the garnet and gold are still furious. They have not come down from that. They are very, very upset. <laughs> What are your thoughts on what transpired last Sunday? Well, the committee got it wrong, and I feel horrible for Jordan Travis because it became about if we, we can dance around it all we want, the committee didn't take Florida State because Jordan Travis got injured. That, and they wanted Alabama in. And maybe Alabama's a better team than Florida State right now, but whether or not they earned it the same way as Florida State, I mean, I had always made three simple rules for making the college football playoff. And there were really easy ones. It was be from a Power 5 conference. The only team that wasn't was Cincinnati. It was don't lose twice. No two-loss team ever made the playoff. And go unbeaten in a Power 5 conference. Those were the three rules. And they had held up the whole time. So I'm still stunned in some ways that Florida State was left out. I understand all the frustration. The other part of it, though, is from an entertainment standpoint, yes, Alabama, Michigan will draw larger ratings. There's no question. But is that what we're doing? Are we play that? They got a name for that. It's uh, professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Well, look. And the bottom line too, and the committee's never going to have to answer for this because that situation will never happen again. No one's going to care when Team Thirteen is left out next year, right? There will never be an undefeated Power Five conference team left out of the playoff. Florida State will go down in history because Auburn, obviously, there was not a playoff in '04 as the only conference champion that will ever happen to, because nothing like that under the situation we have beginning next year will ever happen again. No, and that, that you make a great point, because if we were still in a four-team setup next year, I think they would have taken Florida State. I don't know how they would have shoehorned Alabama in. I feel like they would have. Maybe they would have taken Texas out, but that absolutely would have happened. And think, just think, had Georgia won – I think they would have taken Florida State. It's Alabama. If you want to blame somebody, blame Alabama for winning the game, right? I mean, can you see what I'm saying? That had Georgia beat Alabama, the committee could add a neat and tidy four undefeated package. Obviously not the case when Alabama did what they did. You mentioned Georgia around our parts. It's all about Florida, Miami, Florida State, and Georgia. Well, 
Two of those teams are going to play each other. They're a combined 25-1. and one. They're playing in a prestigious Orange Bowl down in South Florida. And, Bill, I wonder if anybody is going to care about that game. That's, that's the weird part because you could make an argument that if Florida State wins, they could claim a national championship. But this is another symptom of the bowl environment we live in where how many guys are going to opt out? Johnny Wilson opted out, right? There's been others. I'm sure there'll be NFL draft defections, guys in the portal. And this is something they're going to have to figure out next year because once we go to a 12-team playoff, some of these bowl games are going to mean even less. And, and don't get me wrong. I'll watch all of these games. I, I do. I watch well rap presence. I do all those things. But they, the value of some of these games is certainly being diminished, and we can't escape from that. A couple of more for Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, the four teams that did get in. Uh, obviously, you got Michigan, Alabama. We'll get to that in a moment. First to Washington and Texas. I thought Michael Penix should have won the Heisman. I understand why he didn't. Jaden Daniels got a great year for Jaden Daniels. But what Michael Penix has done for that Washington program, to me, is spectacular. They play a Texas team that's very, very good. To me, Bill, that is a true toss-up between Washington and Texas. All that, it's going to be great quarterback play. Two efficient guys under center. They, they can get it up and down and uh, high-scoring offenses. Washington beat them in the Alamo Bowl last year. And and you said it, Michael Penix played great. And Roma Dunze is awesome. You've got great receiver talent on both sides of the ball. I think the defenses can get after it. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a fun Sugar Bowl. And I also think Texas is going to win. Uh, just the way that they were able to persevere through Ewer's injury, through Jonathan Brooks's injury, and to continue to play well on the defensive side of the ball, win the one-score games, Steve Sarkeesian turned a little bit of a corner. I think Texas gets to Houston and gets a chance to play for a national title. We've been here before with Michigan, great regular seasons, and then they run into somebody – from the South, whether it's an ACC or SEC opponent, and things don't go their way. Well, here we go again, Michigan and Alabama in the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's a long trip for Bama. I'm not sure how many Tide fans will go out there. Probably some, certainly. It's a probably a once-in-a-lifetime type deal. But what is your thought about Michigan and Alabama in the other playoff? Oh, all-time uniform game out in the Pasadena. I love the Rose Bowl, but I'm a Big Ten guy, obviously. Um should be fun. And, and you said it. Like, what's changed with Michigan? We've watched all these SEC bowl games. And they the last one they've won was against Florida in Jim Harbaugh's first year. Haven't since. And this, the difference in talent on the perimeter, did that change? Michigan has a very good defense, a very good interior defense. And I'm wondering how that matches up against Alabama. Which team can generate a running game that isn't coming from its quarterback? And can J.J. McCarthy make a handful of throws to make a difference in the game? I can't wait for this matchup, and, and I understand, again, you heard what I said about Florida State, but this one on TV is going to be fun because there's so much on the line. And depending – I think who you talk to, I can ask you this question. Your allegiance is aside. You're rooting for Alabama, right? Because a lot of people want Jim Harbaugh in Michigan to kind of get their penance, so to speak, on the field. Yeah, and it's that whole SEC thing down here. SEC, it just means more. You tend to root for your conference uh, allegiance there. And I would love to see Alabama and Texas again, or even Alabama-Washington for that matter. So, yeah, I think a lot of people in our neck of the woods probably will be rooting for Alabama. You know, it's kind of like the pay. 
if you're rooting against the Patriots because they win all the time, you know, that would be the, the Michigan or the Alabama side of it. If you're rooting against the Patriots because of Spygate and all those things, then you're that's the Michigan side of it. So it's like almost like the New England Patriots argument two ways. Final moments with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, two final questions. Number one, outside of the Orange Bowl that we talked about and the playoff, what is the bowl game you're looking forward to the most? I can't believe I'm saying it, but Iowa, Tennessee. I want to see Iowa play defense against Tennessee. I love watching Iowa play defense. I don't like watching Iowa play offense. It's brutal. So <laughs> I'll keep an eye on that. And like I said, I mean, I always say bull season means something different to everybody. If you don't think this means something to James Madison and Jacksonville State, I just I, I can't hear that. Um, you know, my but then on the other side of it, my alma mater, Ohio University, the quarterback and running back are in the transfer portal. These are the times we live in. But it's football, and I always tell people, you're going to be complaining when it's not on, so enjoy it while it is on. There's no doubt about it. And finally, Jaden Daniels, the Heisman winner, were you okay with that? I am, but like you, I mean, Michael Penix had a compelling case. Marvin Harrison had a compelling case. So did Bo Nix. Jaden Daniels had the Lamar Jackson-like numbers, and – you know, an eight-touchdown game, a 600-yard game. So it wasn't like the greatest year for the Heisman, but that doesn't diminish what Jaden Daniels did. And, I, you know, that's another Heisman. How many SEC Heismans is that in the last 10 years? It's become an SEC-dominated award. Pretty close. It's a lot of them, no question about that. Bill Bender of the Sporting News does a terrific job covering the world of college football. Bill, probably our last conversation until the holidays and the new year. We'll hopefully do it again, maybe close to the national championship game. Have a very happy holiday, a very happy new year, my friend. Always appreciate you joining us. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. And thank you to Bill Bender of the Sporting News for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway of the evening, well, it goes back to the Jaguars, certainly. They've lost two in a row now, Cincinnati, and then yesterday in Cleveland. And as the season goes along, and it's a long season, right? We've been doing this for a while, and there's still a month to go. Expectations change. I think goals also can tend to change. And where Jacksonville is at 8-5, and five, the number one seed talk is gone. That won't happen. Um, So now it's all about winning the division. Win the division at all costs. That is your goal for the next four weeks. And you have a huge lead in that regard. With tiebreakers in place, you basically have a two-game lead on Indianapolis with four to go. And you essentially are a game and a half up on Houston with four to go. So if Jacksonville takes care of business against the Carolinas, and the Tennessees of the world, they should win the AFC South, at worst have the number four seed, have one home playoff game, and then see what happens. So the last two losses have been rough, no question about it, but all is not lost. With Indy's loss and Houston's loss yesterday, you are still in clear control of the AFC South, and that needs to be the goal now for the Jaguars moving forward with these last four games of the regular season. Well, that'll just about do it. What has been a very, very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, thank you to my friend Bill Bender 
of the sporting news. He does a terrific job covering the world of college football as we talked Florida, Florida State, the college football playoff, and other topics around the world of college football. Thank you to Dave Campo. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark as we reviewed Cleveland and took a look ahead to Baltimore coming in for Sunday night football this Sunday. Of course, you'll hear that game right here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. And back in hour number one, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Always enjoy talking with Brian. Again, breaking down the Jaguars, looking at the scenarios, moving forward, and previewing that big matchup with Baltimore coming up on Sunday evening. Now, we will be back tomorrow night. Are you kidding me? Jacksonville, Florida. I got to ask you a question. Where would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark, our late night show on a Tuesday and we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening. And we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Tuesday, beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.